The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And this chapter that we're looking at, chapter 24 of 2 Samuel, as we're continuing in our study uh, of the life of David, uh, an, an undaunted life, where we see this man who is after God's own heart uh, live a life that was in desperate need of grace. He accomplished many great things, but he is also a wonderful reminder to us of the pattern of the gospel in our lives. And these last four chapters, 21, 22, 23, 24, that we're going uh, to be looking at a little bit uh, today, and the next week ends our series uh, on David. They are non-sequential, meaning they're not uh, in order uh, in this pattern, but there is a beauty of how they are arranged. And I want you to always approach Scripture in that way, that what you see are two stories, two lists, and two poems. You see the first story, and then the first list, and then the first poem, and then the second poem, uh, the second list, and the second story in these beautifully arranged concentric circles uh, of giving us in the stories uh, the larger context of everything. The lists giving us the conditions that are within those stories, and then the poems give at the center uh, where God is most encountered. And so this morning, as we read chapter 24, it gives us a picture of the very severe mercy of God. And I chose those words carefully um, because in the midst of this, there is severity. This is a difficult chapter of Scripture. But in the midst of it, there is beauty and there is mercy. And it is a pattern and a picture for us of life. A life that is filled with failure and mistakes, sins that we make, both in those things that we do and those things that we leave undone, that leads us to the opportunity for repentance and then for the beauty of God's mercy and to be restored. That is the Christian life in a nutshell. That the Christian life is lived openly and honestly with great integrity, but it is one that says, I mess up regularly. Can anybody relate to that? Given the opportunity this week to repent? Yeah, me too. But then when we repent, acknowledge our sins to the Lord, own them with all honesty, there is the beauty of God's mercy which restores us, forgives us, and establishes us. So let's come now to God's word and ask his favor. Father, we approach your word with great reverence. We approach your word with great humility and with limited understanding. And so we come now and ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us. Speak for your servants. Listen. Amen. This is the very word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, 
and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Now move down to verse 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So God came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what, shall, what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough now. Stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, uh, the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. A difficult passage, to say the least, and one that we will 
not be able to cover with an exhaustive pen today, but to touch on it and to point you to the greater picture and the greater pattern within it. Again, that pattern of failure, sin, of repentance, and of mercy. First, that failure and of sin that we enter in, and David is taking a census. Uh, but before we can get there, we have to deal with verse 1. And verse 1 says this, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He was upset with Israel. And it says, And the Lord incited David to take and go and number Israel and Judah. The Lord incited David uh, to do this. What do we do with that statement? That 70,000 people died uh, because of a pestilence that was on the land, because of a sin that David committed, that the Lord incited him to commit. Any answers? Whatever answers we have are not easy answers. Because this forces us to deal uh, with the reality of the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over all things, yet God is not the author of evil, uh, that all things happen under his providence and under his uh, ordination of all things, yet man is still responsible for his actions, woman is still responsible for her actions. And so we come to this, and we have to go to the clearer scriptures to always understand those that are unclear. And we know from the clearer scriptures that which I just told you. God is over all things. Man's responsible. So how does God get off the hook? It's in that space that we are living, at least for a moment, this morning. And here's how I would best encourage you about that space. I don't know. I don't. And I've wrestled for hours and days. And my faith was at some level wrecked in seminary by this verse. How can this be? How is it that it can be? And I found myself going finally to places like Job where Job understands that there were thieves who stole from him. There were things that happened to him. And here's Job's response. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job understood that there was evil that was perpetrated by these thieves. They did something wicked, so it had to fall under the sovereign mercy of God in his predestining plan of all things, uh, that it was there that the Lord took away and he used the thieves to take it away. But yet it was the thieves who were responsible. That Joseph said, you, my brothers, meant this for evil when you tied me up and you threw me into a pit and then you sold me into slavery and you meant it for evil. You're responsible for your actions, but God meant it for good. God's overarching plan was accomplished through the sinful behavior of individual men and women. How does that happen? And many of you would go, Bill, it's the permissive will of God. Well, let me break this to you today. That doesn't get you off the hook. Because even if you want to believe in a permissive will of God, God still has to ultimately permit. 
God still has to ultimately be behind all uh, that is permitted to happen uh, within the universe and within the world. And so where we find ourselves is with a verse that you need to know and memorize. And here is the verse that you need to know and memorize, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Are any of you familiar with that? A few of you. Next week, I'd like to ask that same question and have all of you raise your hands. For here is how I learned that verse. A 6.05 phone call from my mother on August 12th of 1992. Bill, your dad's not moving. But I saw him Tuesday night. Bill, your dad's not moving. And he was dead on the floor of our den. And I went and I wrestled as a new believer with this great God who loved us, and we prayed for my dad, uh, and to, for him to minister. We just prayed for him Sunday. He wasn't sick. And I came and eventually found myself in the midst of that mystery of this God who can be known but not fully understood. Uh, this God who has made himself known, but he cannot be tamed by us. And I read these words. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us are for us and for our children that we might obey His commands. Basically, he said, Bill, you let me deal with life and death. You deal with faithfulness. Bill, you let me deal with that space between sovereignty and man's responsibility. You let me hibernate there, uh, inhabit that space. You let me be there. You just understand this. I'm God, and you're not. And we need to be in relationship. And folks, that's a difficult space to be in, isn't it? Into that place of the unknown. But I've already spent too much time there, because that's not the point of the story. As a professor friend of mine used to say, the meal was designed for us to get to dessert. And too often we get stuck in the soup, and in the salad, and in the meal, and we fail to ultimately get to dessert. And I loved that illustration. This isn't this dessert. This is a part of the overall story. It is not the story of chapter 24. What is the story of chapter 24 is the fact that David took a census. A census. All he did was count the people in his country. Isn't that a king's prerogative? Isn't that the king's right? That David did that, and God accounted it as sin against David and against the people of Israel. And you may go, it was just a census. You see, what you're having to wrestle with now is two levels of sinfulness. And we've talked about this before. There are surface sins, and then there is the sin that underlies the sin. There is the deeper, more profound sin uh, that is the motivator, that is the sin uh, that we see uh, that presents itself. David made a census. What's the big deal? I lied. What's the big deal? So I got drunk. What's the big deal? So I medicate pain uh, with a little bit of this on the side. What's the big deal? So I get angry and I yell at referees. What's the big deal uh, in all of this? God, I don't understand the big deal. Here's the big deal. There's something underlying it that is a big deal. So what was the big deal with David's taking a census? The big deal comes from David's own words in Psalm 20, uh, verses 7, and around those verses, when he says this. 
Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will answer from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some they trust in chariots and some in horses. Some take censuses, I'll add to that. Some number what they have. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Here's what happened with David. He didn't trust the Lord. He wanted to see how much strength and might he had. He wanted to be like the other nations. When he came to a king's convention, he wanted to be able to say, look how many chariots I have. Look how many horses I have. Look how many soldiers I have. Look at everything that I have. Because that's what you do at king's conventions. You look and compare numbers of chariots. That's what you do at pastor's conventions, by the way. You ask it a different way. So how's your church? That's code for how many people do you have coming? Oh, well, I mean, if everybody showed up, we'd have like 800 people. But how many actually come? I mean, like four. But we're not going to say that. If everybody, so we did. So how many folks come to your church in Tokyo? 70. You don't stand a chance. There's 38 million people in Tokyo, right? Two churches. Probably about the same size. So 140 people in that one little area on the harbor is trying to take on 100,000 plus people. They don't stand a chance. The census says they don't stand a chance. And if we say they don't stand a chance, it shows the underlying sin we don't trust God. That was David's sin. That's what upset God. It was the picture of the sin that happened from the very beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve said, we don't trust you. You're not good. You're withholding something from us. That was Satan's lie from the very beginning, and it's Satan's lie today that he's coming with you, and he's saying, you can't trust me. So when you lie to one another, has anybody lied? If you didn't raise your hand. Today's your day. Why do we lie? Have you ever asked the question, why do we lie? I lie to you because I need your approval more than I need God's. I will do whatever I need to do to manipulate the truth and the facts so that you will remain in relationship with me and you will love me. If I trusted God fully, I would say, here's the simple fact, I blew it, I did this, I did this. When the officer says, do you know how fast you were speeding? Be honest. Yes, I do. I was doing the speed limit. Your radar is wrong. No, I do. I was wrong. You were saying, God, I trust you. I don't have to manipulate anything else. I trust you in the midst of this, that the outcome of whatever situation I'm in, I can be okay in the middle of it because you're in control. And what Israel was doing was they were saying, we no longer trust in the name of the Lord. We trust in horses and chariots. And God says, that angers me. You're not like every other person. You're not like every other country. Folks, you're different. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're different. You have a different citizenship. You have a different value system. You have a different rule book. And so we live life differently. And when we look to the world and we get jealous of their rule book, or lack thereof, and and we want to hedge over into it, 
God gets angry. And so look at whatever presenting sin that you have and then ask what's driving it underneath. So, that was the problem. That was the sin. David didn't trust the Lord. And the Lord caused a consequence. I can't imagine the consequence, by the way, and I don't have time to really unpack it. But can you imagine that you know that you've caused a problem and the Lord comes to you through his uh, emissary, at least here it's Gad, the prophet. Okay, you get to choose. Consequence one, that there's pestilence in the land. Or that's actually consequence three. Consequence uh, one, there's famine. Consequence two, you run away for three months. And consequence three, there's pestilence for uh, a season. You choose. Ah, David, in the middle of that, what we're going to see, David understood and still knew something about God. And what he knew was that God is merciful. So he repented. So he repented. Second thing, he repented. It said that David's heart was struck after him, after he had numbered the people. David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly against you in what I've done. Uh, Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done foolishly. Then verse 14, uh, I am in great distress, lest I fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. And then David said to the Lord in verse 17, Behold, I've sinned. And I've done wickedly, but these are sheep. What have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. David was convicted by what he had done. His heart broke. And interesting, look at this. His conviction happened before the consequence. His heart was broken within him. He realized he'd done wrong before the consequence He was in tune with the Spirit of God. He was in tune with God's Word. He knew what he did, and all of a sudden, he went, oh no! Have you ever found yourself in that situation? You willingly do something wrong. You willingly decide to do your will, not thy will be done, God. I'm going to do this. And the moment that you do it, you realize, oh no! Oh no! What in the world have I done? And that's where David was. And it says that David knew, even in the midst of, he he knew that God was a just and a holy God, but he also knew that God was merciful, not mutually exclusive characteristics within God, that he holds his justice and his mercy together in perfect tension, but never in conflict with one another. For God said in Romans, I am both the just and the justifier. I am the holy judge. I am the one who is going uh, to forgive. That David recognized that his sin was against the Lord. And he comes to the Lord and he, in, he entrusted himself to the consideration of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? That, that in the midst of David's repentance, he didn't go, let me get off scot-free. He knew consequence was coming, and consequence did come. And instead of trying to choose, can you imagine that being your three choices? David was wise enough to go, I'm not about to choose. God, I trust you. Whatever consequence may come, I trust that it's the right consequence. And I give myself wholeheartedly into your care, and I trust that whatever happens, happens. And I will still worship you. David pleaded with the Lord for restraint, but he always accepted his judgments. 
That's an important part of our repentance. It's a delicate balance to strike. To say, Lord, please be merciful, but God, you are just. Therefore, I accept what comes from your hands. In this sequence of events, this is a very clear A plus B equals C. David took a census. The Lord sent a pestilence. That's what happened. Very rarely in our lives do we have an A plus B equals C sequence of events. We try to go, oh my goodness, I got a speeding ticket. Uh, What did I do wrong? Well, that one's an easy one, by the way, folks. You know why you got a speeding ticket? This is simple. You sped. Not that you didn't go to church Sunday. Not that God's trying to get you back. But there's other things in our lives that happen. There's difficulties that happen. There seem to be judgments that come uh, within our life. There's famines. There's pestilence. There's things that happen uh, within our lives uh, that seem to be a consequence of sin or sinful behavior. And we go, I don't know why this is happening. Well, when we get there, we need to run back to a place in Job where it says that Job arose and tore his clothes and his robe and he shaved his head. He felt the weight of the consequence of sin. Now, by the way, Job hadn't done anything wrong. There was no A plus B for Job. And he said to the Lord, naked have I come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, I don't understand why all this is happening but I'm not going to try to fight for my guiltless state. I know that I came into this world in need and I will leave this world in need and I entrust myself fully to the hand of God and whatever he does must be right because he's God and I'm not. And so I receive it from the Lord. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know here, and I will speak, I will question you, and you will make it known. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job basically said, God, I've been looking for an A plus B, and there's not a simple equation in this. But at the end of the day, I trust myself to you. David, in the same manner, came to the Lord and said, I repent. And whatever you do, I recognize that you do. But I would plead your mercy, Lord. Be merciful. Why did David plead mercy? You ever thought about that? Because he knew God was merciful. Do you know this merciful God in that way? That in your life, in the midst of a mess, in the midst of whatever happens, you can say, I messed up, I've repented, and God, in the midst of your repentance, I plead nothing on my own, but I plead only your mercy. He came, and guess what he found out about God? He knew he was merciful, but then he saw it. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It's enough, now stay your hand. And guess what the angel did? He stayed his hand. And the angel didn't go any further than the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And Gad came that day to David. And he said, go raise up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor there with Aruna, the Jebusite. The Lord is holy and he is just 
and he is merciful, but there had to be propitiation. There had to be sacrifice. There had to be atonement. There had to be a covering for sin. Verse 16, it said that the Lord arrested the punishment, but he hadn't satisfied it until after the sacrifice. That's when he fully relented. The Lord took back, but he said there has to be something. And so it's the same way for us. We need to have atonement in our life. We need to have something or someone cover for our sins because God is merciful, but he is perfectly just as well. And his justice must be satisfied. And when you see this, guess what you find? You see David walking to a threshing floor of a Jebusite who he had already killed most of the Jebusites. You remember earlier, they were the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So can you imagine poor Arna standing there and he sees King David coming? Uh-oh. Oh no, why is the king coming? I'm coming because I need your threshing floor. And he said, well, take it. And David said, I cannot take the threshing floor. I cannot offer sacrifice that costs me nothing. Interestingly enough, David did, and he took this without the spilling of blood because we learned something about this threshing floor. And you read it in chapter 3, verse 1 of Second Chronicles. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, to the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Orna, the Jebusite. Isn't that awesome? The very threshing floor that David purchased from the Jebusite was the place where the temple was to be built. And you know from your own studies of what happened at Mount Moriah before David, that that was where Abraham offered Isaac, and the Lord gave a substitute. The Lord gave something to cover there. And it was at that place that the ultimate covering for all our sins, Christ was presented and given as the true one-time atonement for our sins, was there at that place. And so it's in a sense that God was saying, I'm going to work something devastating in order to present to you something absolutely astounding. That it's at this place that the great, 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 great grandson of David and Solomon came and offered himself as that one-time a sacrifice for you and for me, for our sins to be atoned because God just can't set his justice aside. And folks, this is the dessert, by the way. This is the dessert. This is the part of the story that I want you to get today before you go and have your great Mother's Day meal and you get to dessert. Here's the dessert of this. Christ just, or God's justice is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. His justice had to be satisfied. Why was Christ so upset in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why did he sweat blood? Why? Just because he was going to get beaten and killed on a cross? Plenty of people were beaten and killed and sent uh, on a cross. And he didn't die the worst human death that had ever died. But he is the only person in all of history who was perfect and yet still drank the very cup of wrath. He was crushed so that we never would be crushed. He was destroyed by the destroyer so that God would relent when he comes towards Bill McCutcheon and says, no, 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 not Bill. Not you. No further. For you're covered by this Christ who is our propitiation. I don't have time, but John 4.10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent the Son to be his, or the propitiation for our sins. Romans 3, 21, Hebrews 2, 17. It is a severe mercy that we receive. So friends, we'll end here this morning. 
there are lots of areas of Scripture that are confusing and unclear. Would you agree with that? You can study them, and they're good. They're deep water, and it's good to swim in deep water sometimes. But you also need to make sure you understand the very clear parts. And here's the very clear parts. The holy judge will have a day of reckoning. And every single one of us will stand before him one day and give an account of our lives. And we will stand and we will either say, my good works are enough to cover for this. And God will say the balance is still out. And that we have to pay on our own. Or that we're going to stand there that day and say, no, I have nothing to offer except Christ, my substitute, who is my covering, who is my atoning sacrifice, who is the one who died in my place. And the Lord will look and he will say uh, to his judgment towards you and towards me, restrain, enough, and that we're given life through him. Folks, you have to decide whether you believe that or not. That is the most crucial thing for you to determine in all the Scripture. We can debate when and how Christ is going to come home. We can debate uh, whether we should baptize children or not baptize children. Uh, We can debate on certain things and all of that because there's a little gray uh, in some of those things. But here's what is non and undebatable. That Jesus Christ is the covering and the only covering for our sins. And you can either hide yourself under Him or stand absolutely exposed before God's face one day. But my invitation to you today is come and find Him and be covered and forgiven by Him and go out with that great assurance today. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that the Scriptures don't tame You. Thank You that You are more than we ever could have imagined. And Father, as we come, we can understand many things about You. But there is still a space where your thoughts are too much, too high for us, and that we find ourselves living completely by faith. But it is enough that we might obey and honor you. And so we come and we thank you for Christ, who was crushed on that threshing floor, who was our covering and our Savior. And for those who don't know you who are here, I pray today that they would utter these simple words. Father, I believe in Christ today and I give my life wholly to him and I stand and trust him. And whatever consequence may come in this life, I am so thankful that the ultimate consequence of sin and death has been taken on by him and not me. And so we give you praise and honor today and glory. In Christ we pray.